Chapter 24 of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 24 Suo Sibi Baculo In April, when the sunny buds were showing forth their little frills, and birds that love to hop sideways and try the toleration of the sprays that they are picking at, were almost too busy to chirp, and hung as happily as possible upside down, shaking the flutter of young green lace, while at the same time, for it is a season of great coincidence, pigs reared aloft little corkscrew tails, and scorning their nose-rings, employed them as thimbles for making a punch in the broidery of turf. Also when, if the above is not enough, ducks and geese and cocks and hens and even the dogs, who regard green grass as an emetic mainly, were all, without knowing it, beginning to wag themselves as they walked or waddled and to shine in the sun, and to look very large in their own eyes and those of their consorts. Neither was there any man who could ride a horse, without knowing how, unless he first had starved him. At this young jump of the year and of life, Grace Oglander wanted to go for a walk. She had not by any means been buried in the haunted quarry, Neither had she as yet required burial in any place. On the contrary, here she walked more blooming and lovely than even her custom was, and the spring sun glistening upon the gold letters of her tombstone at Beckley, ordered by her good Aunt Fermitage, the same sun without any strain of his eyes at all likely to turn him into a strabo, was pleasantly making and taking light in the fluctuations of her growing hair her bright hair, which had been so cruelly cropped, instead of being the worse for the process, was waxing and glowing again in vast multiplicity of vigor, like a specimen golden geranium shorn to double the number of its facets, and the blue in the spring of her eyes was enough to dissatisfy the sun with its own sky. However, she showed no discontent, but filled the young wood with cheerful rays, and the open glades with merriment, and even the somber heart of a laboring man with streaks of liveliness. For here were comforts that came in without the eye considering them, and pleasures which, when thought of, fly, and delicate delights that have no idea of being delightful. Hereupon the proper thing is for something very harsh to break in, and discomfit all the wandering vision of earthly happiness, but the proper thing in its present instance showed its propriety by absence. Nothing broke the flow of sunshine and the eddy of soft shade, unless it were a little ruffle of the south wind seeking leaves before they were quite ready, or the rustle of a rabbit anxious about his family, or the flutter of a bird uncertain where to stand and sing his best. Grace, without a thought of what her own thoughts were or whether she had any mind for thinking, rambled on as a schoolgirl does when the hours of school are over. Every single fall or rise of nature's work was kind to her and led her into various veins of inductive unphilosophy, the packing and storing of last year's leaves as of exceeding precious, gathered together by the wind and land in some rich rustling corner, and fitting of those into one another, for fear of losing one of them, wonderfully compact, as if with the hammer of a gold-beater, or the unknown implement wherewith a hen packs up her hatched eggshells, a stiff upstanding of fine young stuff, 
hazel, ash, and so on, tapering straight as a fishing rod and knobbing out on either side with scarcely controllable bulges. Over and above and throughout all, and sensible of their largeness, the spreading quietude of great trees, just breathing their buds on the air again, but not in a hurry as in young days, to rush into perils of leafiness. Pleased with all these proofs of soft revival and tender movement, the fair maid almost forgot her own depression and perplexities. When howling winter was put to the rout and banished underground, and the weather, perhaps, might be hoped to behave as decently as an English spring, most skittish of seasons, should order it, and the blue ray of growth, which predominates then, according to the spectroscopists, was pouring encouragement on things green. I was a girl in her own spring yet, to strive against all such influence. At any rate, Grace made no attempt to do anything of the kind, but wandered at her own sweet will within the limits of her own parole. She knew that she was in seclusion here by her father's command for her own good, and much as she yearned from time to time to be at home with all the many things she was so fond of, she was such a dutiful child and so loving that she should put her own wishes by and smiled and sighed instead of pouting. It could not be very long now, she was sure, until her father should come home and call for her as he had promised, and take her once more to beloved Beckley, after this mournful exile, full as she was with all these thoughts and heeding her own ways but a little, so long as she kept within the outer ring of fence allowed to her, she fell into a little stupid fright, as she called it afterwards, for which there was no one but herself to blame. Only yesterday that good Miss Patch, her governess and sweet guardian, had particularly begged her to be careful, because the times were now so bad that lawless people went everywhere. Miss Patch herself had heard several noises she could not at all account for, and while she considered it quite a duty to trace up everything to its proper source, and absolutely confide in Providence, whose instrumentality is to be traced by all the poor instruments seeking it, Still, there are times when it cannot be done, and then the right thing is to keep within sight or call of a highly respectable man. This is exactly what Grace might have done, and would have done, but for the tempting day, for a truly respectable man had been near her. When first she began her little walk, a man whom she had beheld more than once, but always at a little distance, a tall, stout man, according to her distant ideas of him, always busy in a quiet way and almost grudging the time to touch his broad-flapped hat without lifting his head when he saw her in the woodland. Grace had never asked him who he was, nor been within talking distance of him, at which she was almost surprised when she thought how glad, as a rule, are all Oxfordshire workmen to have a good excuse for leaving off. However, she was far beyond him now when she met another man who frightened her. This was a fellow of dark complexion, dressed in a dirty Fustian suit, and bearing on his shoulder a thick hedge stake, from which hung a number of rabbit skins. His character might be excellent, but his appearance did not recommend him to the confidence of the public. Grace shrank aside, but his quick eyes had spied her, and indeed she almost feared from his manner that he had been on the watch for her, so she put the best face on it and tried to pass him without showing any misgivings. 
but the rabbit man was not to be thus defrauded of his right to good society. With a quick sharp turn he cast off the skins from his staff and stretched that slimy implement across the way with one hand, while he held forth the other caressingly and performed a pretty little caper. "'Allow me to pass, if you please,' said Grace, attempting to look very resolute. "'These are our grounds. You are trespassing.' "'Now, my purty young lady,' said the rabbit man, coming so close that she could not fly, "'you wouldn't be too hard, would you now?' I sees a great many young maids about. Lord, there, what be they to compare with you? I am sure that you do not mean any harm, replied Grace, though with much inward doubt. Nobody ever does any harm to me, but everyone is so kind to me. My father is so good to all who get into any trouble. I am not worth robbing, Mr. Rabbit Man, honest as you are, no doubt but I think that I can find a shilling for you to take home to your family. Now, Missy, sweet Missy, when once I seen you, how could I think of a shilling or two? You was coming out here for to kiss me, I know, the same as I dreamed about last night. Lord bless them beautiful eyes and lips, the most masonary man as ever was a most, would sooner have a kiss than a crown of em. You insolent fellow! How dare you speak to me in this manner? Do you know who I am? Do you know who my father is? No, Missy, but I just say a thunder and beak as have sent me to prison, and now I have got you in prison too. No coming out without paying of your fine, my dear. The dirty scamp with an appreciative grin laid hold of poor Grace's trembling hand and drew her towards him while she tried vainly to shriek, for her voice had forsaken her. When bodily down went the rabbit man, felled by a most inconsiderate blow, he dropped so suddenly that he fetched poor Grace to her knees by this violent grasp of her, and when he let go, she could not get up for a moment because her head went round. Then two strong hands were put into hers, and she rose and faced a young gentleman. In her confusion and sense of vile indignity, she did the natural thing. She staggered away to a tree and spread both hands before her eyes and burst forth sobbing as if her heart would break. Instead of approaching to comfort her, the young man applied himself first to revenge. He espied on the path a stick of the prostrate rabbit man and laid hold of it, and striving to keep his conscience clear and by no means hit a man on the ground, he seized the poor dealer in fur by the neck and propped him well up in a sapling fork, having him thus well situated for penal operations. Without any question of jurisdiction or even of the merits of the case, he proceeded to exhaust the utility of the stick by breaking it over the owner's back. The calm wood echoed with a sound of wooden thumps, and the young buds trembled at the activity of a stick. Oh, a mercy, a mercy, cried the rabbit man, you be going outside of the bargain, sir. Oh, don't. Oh, please don't, Grace exclaimed, running forth from her retirement. I dare say he did not know any better. He may have had a little too much beer, poor fellow. He has had quite enough. Oh, stop, do stop, for my sake. For nothing else in the world would I stop, said the youth who was breathless with hitting so hard and still looking yearningly at the stick now splintered by so much exercise. But if you beg him off, he gets off, of course, though he has not had half enough of it. 
You vile black rascal. Will you ever look at a young lady in your life again? No, sir, no, no, sir, so help me, cried the rabbit man, rubbing himself all over. Do you let me whisper a word to you? If I see your filthy sneaking face two seconds more, I'll take a new stick to you, and a much tougher one, out of my sight with your carrion. Black George, with amazement and fury, gazed at the stern and threatening countenance. Then, seeing the elbow beginning to lift, he hobbled as fast as his bruises allowed to his bundle of skins in the brushwood. Then, with a whimper and a snivel, he passed the broken staff, now thrown at him, through his savory burden, and with exaggerated limbs departed. "'See if I don't show this to your governor,' he muttered as he turned back and scowled when out of sight and hearing. "'I never were took in so over a job in all my life afore, were I? One bowl for a hiding like that,' he grumbled as he pulled out a sovereign and looked at it. Five bowl would have hardly cover it. Why, the young cove can't have been told nor about it. A scurvy joke, a very scurvy joke. I ain't got a bone in me as it don't ache. Leaving him thus to pursue his departure, young Christopher Sharp, with great self-content at the good luck of this exploit, turned towards Grace, who was trembling and blushing. And he trembled and blushed in his turn at her. I'm so sorry. I have frightened you he said in a most submissive way. I have done you more harm than good, I fear. I should have known better. But for the moment, I really could not command myself. I hope you will not despise me for it. Despise you? Can I ever thank you? But I am not fit to do anything now. I think I had better go home, if you please. I am not likely to be annoyed again, and there is a good man in a field halfway. To be sure, you know best, the young man answered cooling into disappointment. Still, I may follow at a distance, mayn't I? The weather looks quite as if it would be dark, and at this time of year scarcely anybody knows. There seem to be tramps almost everywhere, but I am sure I do not wish to press myself. I can go on with the business that brought me here. I am searching for the true old windflower. Oh, are you? said Grace. How exceedingly lucky! I can show you exactly where to find it if only you could manage to come tomorrow. Tomorrow? Well, let me see. Tomorrow. Yes, I believe I have no engagements. But you will not be afraid. I mean, after that blackguard's behavior today? Not, of course, that he should be thought of twice, but still. Oh, I never can express myself. I understand every word you would say, the young lady answered decisively and I never mean to wander so far again. Still, when I know that you are botanizing, or rather I mean when a gentleman is near, but I also can never express myself, you never must come. I mean, goodbye, but I feel that you ought to be careful because that bad man may lie in wait for you. End of chapter 24